Martin, and you're listening to episode three of the Social Cues podcast. I'm your host this week, along with Jonathan Howe and Julie Masson. Again, welcome back to the podcast, you guys. Alrighty, so opening question this week, uh, and really going to be our only question again. This may, I sense a theme coming on. This may end up being the case every week, depending. You know, we're just feeling this podcast out as we go. But uh, this week, our opening question, and probably our only question, uh, what's on our mind? Here's the here's the question: What are some social media tips and tricks that used to be go-to strategies years ago, came to prominence? may not work as well as they used to in today's environment. So what are some social media tips and tricks that maybe became popular years ago, aren't as new in terms of when they came onto the scene? Uh, and are they still helpful or or are they not? So who wants to who wants to give us our first one? I'll go. How about songs on your MySpace wall? <laughs> songs on your MySpace. That sentence that that? didn't make sense in 2005. MySpace yeah. wall. <laughs> Or whatever, I don't know. I was just, it was, that was a joke, obviously. I think no. we should clarify because when you say years ago, I mean, that could really mean in social media years, like two months ago. Fair. So, that's fair. You know, everything changes so fast. That's fair. Which actually, I have a side note. I'm going to go rogue here for a second. Did you guys ever call Facebook the Facebook? No. No. Has that ever been a thing? It, I mean, I it, it was it was called the Facebook, but I wasn't on it early enough when it was still called the Facebook. Yeah, I've only known it as Facebook. Okay, well, yesterday I was meeting with the ERLC interns, and we went around the room, and I said, tell me your name, where you're from, and how old you were when you first joined any social media platform. And for almost every single one of them, they said Facebook was their first one. But almost all of them said, I got a Facebook. And I thought that was really interesting. I've never referred to it as the Facebook or a Facebook. Is that okay, like something so you mean from like years put ago? An article oh, okay. okay. Yeah, I mean, people yeah, sure. say people say I got a Facebook when they when they created an account. I think that's just yeah, a, that's weird a to weird me. Weird way of saying, yeah, I got a Facebook. Like my my parents let yeah. me get a Facebook, and what they mean is open a Facebook account. Yeah, right. Those are the words I use, but I wasn't sure if that was from years ago, and those are words I, I, we no longer use. I don't know. I would just say joined, blank, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah, okay. that's just incorrect. It's not something that used to be a thing, I think. No. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's all right. just incorrect. All right. So, okay, <laughs> so first strategy, first tip, trick, like uh, a kind of content is the first one we're looking at here. The first kind of content that maybe used to be super popular that came onto the scene, and I think for this one, is years ago. I mean, gosh, at least six years ago, five years ago. Uh, is share squares. So, Julie, I think you have something you want to say about this before we go any further on share squares. Yeah, I feel really strongly that Jonathan's name for these is just wrong. Not just Jonathan's name for her. Uh-uh. Really? So where did they come from? I thought you called them share squares. No, a lot of people call them share squares. Just Google share I've squares, only, you'll find it. I've only heard them called share squares when I've been working with Jonathan. Oh, that's interesting. So, I call when, them picture When you're in the someone. presence of greatness. I mean, this is true. This is true. So, but what these things are, we should probably describe that because a lot of people probably don't know what they are. I call them picture it's quotes. It's a picture with a quote. Yeah. Hey, so do you see why I call them picture quotes instead of share squares? <laughs> that is a square that you share. <laughs> okay. And, and honestly, the reason they're called share squares, I think, and this is the one that you're going to talk about, I think, a little bit, but 
is they really rose to prominence with the rise of Instagram because Instagram for the longest time, it was squares. So if you shared anything on Instagram, it was a square. So a share square. And then Facebook became more visual with both video and pictures. So they kind of migrated over there. And I, I do agree. I think, I don't know who put this in the notes, but they are a lot more effective. I think as far as engaging people, on Instagram as they are on Facebook. I don't know if they're as effective as getting a desired outcome other than a like on Instagram or Facebook. I mean, you don't get anything out of, uh, you know, like anything direct, I guess, out of a share square on Instagram. You can put links and things and comments or whatever in over at Facebook and get some kind of direct result out of that. But Right. I have very strong feelings about this, but I'm going to reserve them. Julie, you keep talking, and then I'm going to tell you why I think they're amazing. (laughs) <laughs> there we go. Well, I would say let me let me go way back in the years. So in 2013, I, I think we talked about this last week, maybe not, but I ran what Jonathan likes to tease me about as a mommy blog. I, I Julie started, the mommy blogger. I was a woman who was a mom who had a blog <laughs> for moms, but I was not a mommy blogger. Um, I, so I started, the, that is the quintessential definition, a mom <laughs> with a blog for other moms. That is a so mommy blog. I blogger. started Kansas city mom's blog back in 2013. It was named mom's blog. It was. So back in 2013, <laughs> what was very popular was creating these, sometimes it was memes, which is another topic we should discuss. Oh, it was we share should. squares. It was memes. And, um, all of us who had these blogs as we were in a group, it was kind of like, um, what's a word? Like KFC, Chick Fil A, you start all those different things. Chicken restaurants, oh, franchises. It was, oh, <laughs> it was a franchise. Franchises. We, yeah, there's several of us that ran these mom blogs that were all part of the same network. And yes, Jonathan really wants to drive home the point that I was a mommy blogger. So anyway, all of us, what what we were doing that was very effective is one mom blog would say, "Hey, we shared this quote, and it was just a picture with a quote on it, and we got crazy high engagement." So we all started doing it and it really did work. And so that was really effective back on Facebook because it made it, you, you know, it was so easy to share, which is why I think it's interesting you call them share squares because on Instagram, it's way harder to share a square on Instagram. So, but now in 2019, uh, with, with what I'm doing now with social with the ERLC, we rarely do that anymore just because People weren't as readily sharing things, commenting, tagging. They do do better than podcast posts. So we found that sharing podcasts on Facebook don't do very well. Yes. And it makes sense. And I can get into that on another day. But um, we have found much more success with picture quotes slash share squares on Instagram. All right, Chris, I'm ready for your your, um, dissertation on this. All right. So... Share squares, as I will call them by their rightful name, uh, share squares, <laughs> social squares, picture quotes, whatever you want to call them, uh, images that have text overlaid on top of them as a means of generating reach and engagement on social media platforms are incredibly effective on every on, on, on Facebook and Instagram primarily, not as much on Twitter because Twitter is a more text and words based platform than the other two. Uh, I think... Uh, social social square share squares are um, it really just depends on who your audience is and if you're creating content for them that's interesting to them I think uh, there are certain share squares that will do well on Instagram and certain certain share squares that will do well 
on Facebook. And sometimes there's overlap. So I can share from my personal experience uh, managing the LifeWay Facebook account how ShareSquares have been incredibly effective for us. So uh, in October of 2018, uh, a LifeWay teammate left LifeWay. The uh, we, we all know him. His name's Kyle. He left uh, LifeWay to take another role somewhere else. Um, and uh, I took over managing the corporate LifeWay uh, Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter, and all 267 of our social media accounts uh, in some form or fashion. And since then, um, it was, it's been a huge major goal of mine to massively increase our Facebook reach and engagement because it was pretty low. Uh, Kyle did a good job with everything, all the resources and tools he had at his disposal, but he uh, was stuck making a lot of um, uh, ads and stuff like that. He, couldn't, he could not devote a lot of time to organic content. So a lot of the organic content on the LifeWay Facebook page in particular was promos or or um, just product promotions like hey check out this new Bible study hey check out this new Bible or whatever else uh, and so with the Which launch are of cool but don't drive a lot of user engagement organically no right. and, no they they do a lot better with money behind them when you can target them at a particular audience yeah. who may be interested than they do as an organic post there's a place for those but um, the ratio needs to be pretty low to to other kinds of content. And so anyway, we started investing, me and then um, in October, uh, shortly around the time Kyle left, uh, we added Amanda McCown, who I hope to get on the podcast at some point. She's just a great, uh, she's great at creating visual content for digital platforms, whether it be video or share squares or whatever else. And, um, and so she started creating a bunch of share squares for Instagram that uh, th that's kind of the first place we post them uh, because we've all kind of acknowledged that they do well on Instagram. Uh, but then I also, uh, we really put them in a Google Drive folder. What they are is their Bible verses that just have the LifeWay watermark on them somewhere. We're not promoting a product. We're not pr promoting anything. We're just, uh, we have a spreadsheet of Bible verses from the, the LifeWay's Christian Standard Bible. Uh, and we have um, uh, the LifeWay watermark, and she finds different images that maybe go with whatever the verse is, you know, if it's talking about a rock or a, a city on a hill, you know, I mean, just various uh, background images that we're finding from free image sites like Unsplash or things like that. Um, so she creates five share squares per week, uh, and she runs five a week on Instagram, adds them to the Google Drive folder, and then I share five on Facebook per week, um, and they're not, they're not the same five. I'm usually running them on Facebook, ones that maybe ran even months ago on Facebook, uh, not the same ones that run on Instagram every day. And so we post them at midnight on Facebook, and she posts them throughout the day on Instagram. Interesting. Uh, yeah, we can talk more about that later. But I, I like the strategy. So since, um, since October of 2018, when we kind of took over the LifeWay Facebook page, we've seen an incredible amount of growth on on the LifeWay Facebook page. We've grown by like 25,000 likes on the LifeWay Facebook page in in the last, what is that, eight months? Uh, and the, there was not that much growth since then. And the reason share squares are incredibly effective on Facebook, um, they're, they're, they're effective on Instagram 100%. You get likes, you get comments. But on Facebook, the reason they're more valuable than just the like, the comment, or the share, and getting your brand out there, which is which is the, that's like part one of why they're effective. Um, I think everybody would say, you know, getting a like, a comment, or a share. Yeah, that reach. Yeah, that reach yeah, is reach you're is getting your you brand in front of people. That's 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 value. That's worth the fifteen minutes it took you to make that share square or whatever. 
Uh, our share squares routinely get as much or more reach than any other kind of piece of content we post on our Facebook page. Wow. Oh, it's not even close. Um, why? Or or what's the what's the second what's the second benefit that that kind of goes unnoticed or people don't think about? When some it's creating share squares and running them on your Facebook page is the lowest hanging fruit there is. It's the easiest thing in the world because yeah, of course, it's great to encourage people with scripture every morning when we post them at midnight. It's the first one of the first things I check when I sit down in the morning. It'll already have eighty shares five comments and 200 likes at six o'clock in the morning when I sit down to look at my computer. But what's the second benefit? This is the one that often goes forgotten. When someone likes comments or shares or even just clicks or stops scrolling to look at that share square, they are now more likely because of how the Facebook algorithm works to receive my next piece of content. Mm-hmm. So That's right. share, That's smart. share squares, their value does not stop at the reach they get or the engagement they get. That's the that's the short term. That's the that's the immediate yeah. surface level they're, value. They're basically bait for other the, stuff. You want you want me to get real kind of like crass about it? They're the gateway drug to your <laughs> Facebook page. <laughs> Share squares are the gateway drug Fair to enough. your Facebook page. Share if, squares if, are weed, bro. Seriously, you you share a share square <laughs> from a Facebook page and it's it's the lowest it's the easiest. That's why I say lowest hanging fruit. It is easier to get people who like a Christian Facebook page to like, comment, or share a Bible verse than it is to get them engaged with any other kind of piece of content. Just That's ask fair. the Bible app people. You you create those every day. Yeah, it's like it's quality content in that it looks pretty if you have someone who's good at making them. It looks pretty, so it's aesthetically pleasing. It's an encouraging Bible verse. And then from a strategy perspective, the thousands of people that engage with that or see that in their feed, they're now more likely to see that next piece of content that maybe is a That's little right. bit further down your content funnel or further down your marketing funnel. And maybe it's maybe it, then next it's a blog post that they see and, oh, they happen to like that. And then the next thing they see is a promo for that new product or that event. And so share squares should not be seen just as, oh, they're, yeah, they're great on Instagram because that's originally kind of where they became a thing or, yeah, they're good and that they get likes, but really beyond that, what's the point? It is it is the uh, share squares are often the first step someone takes in becoming engaged with your page. And I think I, I there are a lot of good things we've done on the, on the Lifeway Facebook page since October of 2018, since we took over. We're starting to run more content, fewer promos, all of that. There are a number of levers we've pulled, so it's hard to point to one thing that has been most effective, but it's hard to ignore that we're reaching a third of our total likes on Facebook most days with share squares and the amount of engagement, and then, and then they're put into the cycle that the Facebook algorithm creates. Once they like, comment, or share, or even an engagement, can, uh, according to Facebook, can be stopping to scroll, stopping your scrolling for just a couple of seconds. Um, that that gets them into your content feedback loop, and they're more likely to see your, more of your content moving forward. So that's my spiel on share squares slash picture picture. You graphics, sold me picture quotes. Picture quotes. Uh, you sold me. I are, think I think that's a good point. Coming to a Facebook feed near you. ERLC yeah. right. share squares. <laughs> and look, we, we, well, we're what, already we, using them. We just don't use them as much on Facebook because we did not see that great of engagement with them. That, we used well, to that, see more. That has a lot to, more to do, I think, with your audience that you've right. got on Facebook that you kind of inherited some of the, and, the issues and there. So. Correct, correct. And now, too, uh, share squares of Bible verses are astronomically better than share squares of 
quotes of, of people. That's um, right. So especially for our audience, especially in our yes. context. Not every yes. share square is created equal. Let's put it that way. I, I do wonder <laughs> if Facebook quotes and, and share squares of quotes in in different you know spaces, maybe you know the non Christian space, maybe in a business space, or I, I don't know, maybe the inspirational. You know, if you have if if inspirational quotes from some you know, somebody's meditation or yoga po, you know page, I don't know, uh, do just as well as the the Bible Bible quotes from a Christian page, so to speak. Yeah, I'm sure they don't. Yeah. There's nothing quite like, there, there's nothing comparable. A self-helpy page probably does really well with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, uh, an auto mechanics Facebook page isn't going to see the <laughs> same kind of engagement and, and value. Quotes from Henry Ford. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Just got a bunch of Elon well. Musk quotes on As there. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, that's, that's my spiel. They're incredibly valuable. They're the lowest hanging fruit there is. And obviously this is all just, it varies depending on your audience and what they're going to engage with. But That's for, right. us, your for us, they're and... a no-brainer. Yeah. No-brainer. Yeah. And, and and if if you happen to run a Christian Facebook page and you're just like, all right, now where do I start with that? I mean, it really, you could probably just Google most popular Bible verses and just pull a list right there from your, get your translation and just get to town. I mean, like it... That that's a really really low hanging fruit thing, just from a practical standpoint. So yeah, I mean, make uh, a spreadsheet. Make sure you mark like yeah. when you've run them, so mm-hmm. that you know. Yep. Like, I think we have a spreadsheet. We don't even have three hundred and sixty five of them. I think we probably have a hundred and twenty of them. But it's not like people remember. Yeah. Oh, I they like ran this that, nine they ran, months ago. They ran that Bible verse. They ran that Bible verse a hundred twenty <laughs> days ago. One. Right. Yeah. Uh, people aren't paying that close attention. Um, so yeah, I think I think there is tremendous value depending on your industry, but it's. Canva is a great tool if you're looking for, if you're not Photoshop proficient, Canva or Over are both great tools to create images like that. Make sure you're pulling images that you have permission to use and yes. using quotes you have permission to use if you're not yeah. using scripture. And um, Canva has built in image search and everything too and templates. I mean, templates, it's, yeah. it's so easy to use. Even Julie can. Um, That's right. <laughs> all right. Next thing, mass follow campaigns. What about those? I, I have always been anti this. Even though I work for people who are pro it and were all about it and drove up their follower account, I'm more about, you know, and, and my personal, uh, and especially on, this is really has to do with Twitter, I guess. Uh, we can talk about buying Facebook likes another time and get Chris going off on another tangent. Oh, boy. But, <laughs> uh, but on Twitter, you know, following people to get them to follow you back and just building that up. I've never been a proponent of that. I've got 6,600-ish followers right now on Twitter. I follow about 650, 670. I, I keep it under 700. So I'm, I've always been, the fewer people you can follow and the more that follow you, that ratio, the bigger that ratio is, the better. I am not about to follow 18,000 people just to get them to follow me back. Now, I'm would you totally say, anti this. When you say mass follow campaigns, is that what you mean? Where people follow a ton of people only to, to try to get them, them later? Well, either or that just or just, tr- just either one. The okay. only reason you're following people is to get them to reciprocate. Well, okay. So let me let me say some of the things I, again, I used to do and do a little bit now, more so with Instagram rather than Twitter. And honestly, when this, I was, this is a little bit more for the personal side of things oh. than the a corporate side of things. Okay. Well, back in the day, again, like uh, five to seven years ago when I was doing stuff for an international mission board initiative, 
I had an actual social media checklist that I did every day. And one of the things that I did every day was I followed five new Twitter people, five new Instagram followers. But that wasn't just just so that they would follow us back. I, I mean, I wanted them to follow us back. But it was also because I was trying to just network with more people and I wanted to have more content to connect with. But I wouldn't do it randomly. For example, on Instagram, which I still do some of this, on Instagram, I would look for hashtags that applied to that brand. And I still do that now with the URLC. And then I find people who are sharing the same hashtag and then I'll follow those people. But I have never, ever been a proponent and have never done this where I follow people and then once they follow me back, I unfollow them. That's just wrong. That's my two cents. Yeah, And I think there is a difference, though. You mentioned the brand side of things. I think if you're trying to build brand awareness, like if you're, uh, say, you're working at the RLC and y'all have something on pro-life initiatives. That's right. And you're you're following other pro-life accounts so to kind of connect with them mm-hmm. and, and the possibilities that they will follow back or whatever. I don't have an issue there. It's it's more on the personal side of things where you're and like you're you're saying like you're following so they follow you back and then you unfollow them again or whatever. Right. And I will say I saw a conversation on Twitter a couple of weeks ago where someone had accused another and these were two pastors. So I thought, come on, boys. But another pastor had accused another pastor of following him only to unfollow him. And I just thought, you know what? What if someone followed you and then they discovered they just don't like what you posted, so they unfollowed? That's okay. People can unfollow you and you can be okay with it. He's just not that into you. That's right. He's just not that into you. The uh, I think I've always been against the strategy, kind of like how I think there's probably some place for it, kind of like maybe Julia's described. Um, I just, I think uh, following people in an attempt to get them to follow you back is unorganic it inorganic it's not real it it creates a false sense of uh importance and influence um and i think uh when i'm looking at a twitter account for instance instagram i don't pay as closely attention to when it comes to this stuff but uh, when i'm looking at a twitter account uh follower count and i'm trying to decide like is this person like legit like are they do they have a lot of influence just kind of on a not doing a deep dive, just kind of at a glance, like, does this person have a lot of influence or not? Um, if they have 150,000 followers, but they follow 112,000 people, no. Uh, they, I might be wrong, but at first glance, I'm going to say, no, they don't really have much influence. But if they have 10,000 followers and they follow 500 people, yeah, they have a lot of influence. Um so the, the ratio between f- people you're following and followers you have says more to me than how many people are following you. Yeah, uh, I totally and, agree. If you're over that 10 to yeah. 1 ratio, I mean, you're, you're, doing, you're doing it right, I think. Yeah. I don't just say yeah. that because that's about what mine is, but whatever. <laughs> no, but I think – and there, and the point of Twitter isn't to maintain that ratio either. Like if you want to follow a thousand – like if there are a thousand Twitter accounts that you love to follow and you only have 500 followers, like it's not bad or anything like that. It's no. just like you're not uh, – uh, you, you only you know your own heart and how uh, and why you're following people or if you're just trying to follow people to get them to follow you back. Uh, one of the funny ones because he's done it to me and I don't know this guy personally. I don't even know if he's a real person to be square with you. Uh, but I see Jared Wilson tweet about him all the time is Terry Whalen. Good old he's Terry Whalen. Is he's he real? real. And he was an author at the publisher I used to work for. Wow. wow. Okay, so sometimes I wonder <laughs> if people who like mass follow and then unfollow are even actually real people, like if I yes. haven't seen them. Um, 
And uh, so Terry Whalen, I think he's like a business guy or something. I don't yeah. know, but he he's always... Like a business's mission type of thing or whatever. But yeah, Jerry right, right, cracks right. me up with, oh, Terry's back. <laughs> right. He like <laughs> follows and unfollows Jared C. Wilson all the time. Not Jesus Swagger, Jared Wilson. That's a different guy. Uh, Jared C. Wilson, he follows and unfollows him all the time. And I always love seeing Jared's posts about it. And he, he's done it to me a couple of times, but... Um, but yeah, so if you're doing that kind of a thing, like I immediately, no matter how many followers you have, you lose some credibility in my eyes, but, uh, but yeah, I'm not a fan. Yeah. And, and, and to, you know, we talked about this, these go-to strategies that used to work at the advent of Twitter before the algorithms and everything. This was a legit thing. There were, yeah, there was a little cottage industry of programs that would automatically follow people to build up follower accounts because people were none the wiser on either having legit followers or um, people were just faking influence. So mm-hmm. right, it was something that was legitimately done and was a, you know, kind of a cottage industry on Twitter. And, and remember when there were auto yeah. re- automatic replies. So oh, when you my follow goodness someone, gracious. you got an automatic DM. Thanks that for was following. The it was. Oh the my gosh. It yes. was. Which, I, those hey, were like, if somebody did that, I usually unfollowed them right back. Yeah. Yeah. Same. So it's like, nope, Same. nope, I'm out. Um, this brings me to the bigger question. Is Twitter in itself a strategy that used to work and just no longer does? Oh, that's I know a good your question. I, I totally but, disagree. I think it well, is. Well, I, I think within our vital. world and the and the world that we all live in within the SBC, it's totally still relevant. But outside of SBC, oh, it's totally I'm relevant reading, in Christianity and in politics. I mean, the president wouldn't be harping on stuff like he is if he thought, or if Twitter was not relevant. Yeah, true. I just wonder how effective Twitter will be long term. I wonder if Twitter will be a platform that five, ten years down the road, people will say, hey, remember when Twitter used to be a thing and it used to be really yeah. effective and now they don't even use it? People Who said knows? the same thing five years ago about Twitter. The Staying power yeah. is pretty incredible. Okay. I think I never thought about it this way, but I think that this is kind of how I think about it without ever having expressed it. Twitter has more cultural influence than facebook as a platform but even though facebook even though facebook makes a thousand times the amount of money or whatever because no nba twitter has to be one of the most rabid communities in the world and i don't even like the nba and watching nba twitter it's it's better than watching the nba it's like (laughs) people who are fans twitter when you have general managers with burner accounts yeah, to, uh, and, and, and players, players like Kevin Durant team, right? Like I Kevin mean, Durant what? had his own burner accounts, I think. So, like, really? Oh, yeah, I think so. Wow, like, well, guys, you, you need to do a sports episode. I can see this going down fast. You might need to save all of these thoughts for a sports but all, episode. But all of this is to say the <laughs> like, and and as long as the president's using Twitter, and and even if like even if President Trump didn't win the next election, all of the main candidates going up against him are are using Twitter regularly as one of their biggest platforms in communicating with the people. So Twitter is becoming more a social and cultural service. It's it's Twitter as a platform is affecting culture more than Facebook, in my opinion. Now, Facebook plays a bigger role in e-commerce and marketing, um, but it doesn't create there. Twitter creates culture or rather more culture is created through Twitter than is created through Facebook. Like when you think of memes or trends, like hashtags are a thing on Facebook, but really 
but really, they're are they? Really. Like, no, no, they're not, not really. They're no. not. They're way bigger on Twitter and Instagram in very different ways, um, yeah. in my opinion. Well, nobody but, ever talks about Facebook's trending topics or you no. know, mm-hmm. on, on so-and-so's Facebook wall today. I mean, no, no. We don't do that. We, we, no. They're, every time you watch SportsCenter, there's tweets all over the place. I mean, there, Twitter's, all kind of Twitter stuff. is and Julie. You you mentioned the sports thing. This has nothing to do with sports. It's more the culture that's created around those things. Right. Just like you were talking about with you know their SBC culture or evangelical Christianity culture on Twitter. The, every little pocket of has uh, their Twitter. culture has its own little Twitter yeah. culture. Yeah. 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 I agree. Yeah. And so I think I think um, Twitter and Twitter is the most important social media platform from, from a PR perspective. How many? 100% serious, super important or heavy messages have come through Twitter via screenshots of the Apple Notes app. I mean, just think <laughs> think about all of these things that oh have come gosh. through like like corporations if I ever who have that, 100 shoot me. <laughs> corporations who have 100 million dollar like communications budgets are releasing statements in this way. Um so I think and and like professional athletes are announcing they're retiring with screenshots of the Apple Notes app posted to Twitter. So, like, it has a greater, as a platform, has a greater effect on popular culture than than it definitely Facebook. Maybe Instagram has a bigger effect in a different way, and YouTube in an even different way. But, um, but I think Twitter, even if it isn't maybe as profitable or as lucrative as something like Facebook or as dominating the world, um, it has a cultural value that, that is unmatched, but that's another conversation, I suppose. Yeah, this has been Twitter and you with Chris Martin. <laughs> Join us <laughs> next week. Should we move on to Facebook? Yes. So, yeah. all right, another uh, social media tips and trick: Facebook Live. I'm still pro on this. So I'm pro Facebook Live, uh, but the, let, let me let me give some context here. I'm a huge fan of Michael Stelzner and his company, Social Media Examiner, and his conference, Social Media Examiner or Social Media Marketing World. He and his company recently released the state of the state of the social media industry or something like that. It was 2019 report and they surveyed a whole bunch of marketers and they got really good feedback. And in terms of marketers, he said Facebook Live will never catch up to YouTube in terms of it being beneficial for marketers, which I totally agree. Um, However, he in his podcast where he talks about that, he mentions how when Facebook Live first came out, Zuckerberg was just, I mean, they were talking about it. They put so much money and time into saying, use Facebook Live, we're going to prioritize it, we're going to prioritize it. And I was someone who jumped on, I was like, all right, we're going to do this. This I think it was about three years ago when it came out. And I was new at the ERLC then, and we started doing Facebook Lives, and we saw crazy, crazy engagement. We don't see that anymore. And he made, uh, Mike Stelzner made the point that he said when he listened to the recent keynote from Zuckerberg, he didn't mention anything about Facebook Live or Facebook Watch. So it's almost like Facebook is, they know they, one, they know they can't compete with YouTube. And two, they know that people aren't coming to Facebook to sit and watch videos. And so, and well, so his, his data from his report said that the average video is less than 10 minutes. Jonathan? Well, one of the issues with that is people don't trust the metrics they're getting from Facebook Live. There's been so many scandals. Is that too, too hard? No. Um, That's about right. You know, misreported video stats and everything from Facebook Live that, that people just don't trust the platform because they don't really know if they're getting an ROI. So it's hard to know if what we're doing for Facebook Live is actually worth it 
when I can't trust the stats I'm getting for page views or, or views, you know, three second, ten second, twenty five second, whatever the view count is. The one thing I do think Facebook Live, it's I don't think it's a good thing long term strategy for um, like content, those kind of things. I think it's great for reaction videos. So uh, an event happens and somebody jumps on Facebook Lives and gives a you know kind of a first blush reaction video to it. We've done that a few times at SPC this week. Whenever the Houston Chronicle thing came out uh, on the sex abuse in the SPC, Amy and I did a Facebook Live that night. Whenever the the new ACP data came out, we jumped on and did a Facebook Live. We brought Scott McConnell on there and did a Facebook Live with that. So those have been very helpful for us as in like reacting to news from a corporate standpoint, you know, that kind of thing. I think that's very helpful, very good use of Facebook Live. But that that's something I don't know if you can do every day or all the time. But having uh, – and I do think it's good for streaming different events. But as far as like creating content for Facebook Live kind of on a – like you would content for YouTube, I eh, – no. Mm-hmm. Well, but I – and I think what in the back – Back when Facebook Live first started, Facebook said, we're going to prioritize this content, and they did. They're not prioritizing it like they used to, which is why I think I would say it's not working as well as it used to. The thing that made Facebook Live so valuable for me, um, so like the main interaction I had with Facebook Live back when I was still, well, I, I do still manage Eric Geiger's blog and social media, but in a more indirect way than when he was at Lifeway. When Eric Geiger was uh, vice president at Lifeway, I managed his blog and social on a daily basis and we did weekly Facebook Live videos. And so when it when Facebook Live came out, I went to Eric and I said, hey, Facebook Live just came out. We're trying to grow your Facebook page to help reach more people. Um, they said that they're going to wait Facebook Live content, give it more reach and promote more engagement to Facebook Live content more than any other content on the platform. I think we need to start doing Facebook Live videos every week. And he was like, we don't have time to be creating a a sixth piece of content every week because we were already doing five blog posts every week. And I said, no, 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 no. We can just, we'll print off a blog post every week and you just basically do a, a live video of your blog post on Facebook Live and just basically doing a video version of a blog post. We don't need to reinvent the wheel yeah. here. It was a sermonette. Um, exactly. And so and he's so like he didn't even have to look at his notes. He'd read the blog post once, have a, an exact idea of what he'd written. And we were using blog posts that came out years before, um, just from the archive. And so we would record live Facebook lives in his office with my iPhone, a little lapel microphone like I think it was like forty three dollars. $43 worth of equipment I bought on Amazon, a $15 tripod, and a little microphone. And it was like, you know, we had to work out some kinks at first. It was like, it was like cool to be like super informal and for the quality not be very good because it was supposed to be kind of impromptu and off the cuff. And then people started complaining about audio quality. And I was like, oh, people, people like want this to be more professional than it, than it was before. And so we, that's when we got like the, the lapel microphone and stuff. And we were getting, I mean, we would invest five minutes a week in these Facebook live videos, I'd put 20 or 25 bucks boosting behind them after they'd been up for about 24 hours. And we'd get 10, 16,000 views on a five to seven minute Facebook live on a blog post that had maybe gotten three or 4,000 views when it was posted. What you didn't know is that there were only like 18 people viewing it and the stats were all screwed up. (laughs) Well, and and that's a possibility, but what we did see, what we did see is, yeah, and this is again the the surface effect, the the 
kind of right in your face was, yeah, you got engagement on your Facebook page. Like, that's great. You're providing content. You're helping people. But then the long tail effect was everyone that you boosted the video to who liked it and did not already like the page, you could invite them to like the page. And Jonathan, I remember sharing that with you and like blowing your mind. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And that was the biggest thing. That's the best thing that we've ever discovered about uh, Facebook. Is, right. is inviting people to like the page and that little automated thing that we have. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's great. It's and like so the greatest thing ever. So so Facebook Live was huge, not just for creating live video. I think it's, it's never really caught on for that uh, and it's kind of shown. Um, but I think the, the value is in using Facebook. When Facebook Live was, um, when you talk about like arbitrage and like attention and, and, and ROI just on attention, not on money, um, the five minutes it used to take to record those five-minute Facebook Lives in order to get 10,000 eyeballs and then a bunch of new likes on the Facebook page because of how Facebook was waiting those Facebook Lives, it was 100% worth it. But over the last few years, eventually Facebook Live started getting weighted less and then it was like Facebook Live and Facebook Video in general were weighted about the same. So it didn't matter for a while. It, posting video was still a really good idea, but it didn't really matter if it was live or pre-recorded anymore. And now, when we post, we post video on the Lifeway Facebook page uh, two or three days a week now, and it really just depends on the video. Sometimes the video does well. But it doesn't feel like video in and of itself, just because it's a video, performs better than any other kind of content. It doesn't feel like they're weighting it any heavier than they like they did before. Just the ones from Food Saver. Yeah, exactly. Video, what I've learned in running like 100 videos the last six months on the Lifeway Facebook page is more than blog posts, more than podcasts, more than anything. The person in the video, personality drives video views. They could be read, they could be reading the phone book. It doesn't matter if the person is a well-known person in the video because you can see their face. And yeah, is that petty and shallow? Of course. But that's just some random thing that I noticed. Yeah. All right, here's one other thing I think we should talk about is posting at a certain time each day. Remember yes. how it used to be like you have to post at this, like you need to post before people are waking up or at night when people are in front of the TV because they're checking social media. I still try and post at like similar times each day, but honestly, I just don't think it matters anymore. If you have good content and it starts gaining engagement soon after, it'll be fine. It doesn't matter yeah. when you post it. Uh, you could do 11, 11 a.m. it doesn't matter, but... It matters a little bit, but it doesn't matter like it used to. Is that yeah. fair? Because, I mean, if you post into everything, if you're dropping 18 tweets at 3 in the morning, you're not going to get much. But, yeah, I, I think you're right. The content content matters more now than it ever has. And it used to be where it didn't matter what kind of content you had because there was no algorithms that if you posted at the right time of the day, then it you know it, it worked. Um, but if you're, if you're doing something that's not based on like something going on in the world, like people tweeting about events or, you know, there's a big cultural moment happening, you know, I, I'm just thinking of the 50th anniversary of the moon landing, how big that was in 1969. If there was a cultural event that was that big right now and people are all tweeting about it and everything like the solar eclipse a couple of years ago, yep. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it mattered whenever you were tweeting about that and everything going on around that and super bowls, those kind of things. But as far as just generic content, it matters. Put more effort into your content than That's right. when you're doing it. Yeah, yep, Twitter, time still matters on Twitter if you're trying to not not even live tweet something, but just like be in a conversation about something that's going on in a particular moment. Um, but when it comes to creating content generally or on any platform except 
Twitter, um, Facebook, it doesn't, I don't think it matters what time you're posting stuff. I think what matters is that you don't post stuff too close together. So like on Facebook, on the Lifeway Facebook, for instance, where we post at like 8 a.m., noon, 8 p.m., at midnight, just try to space everything out relatively consistently and maintain a sort of rhythm. Uh, we're not posting at 8 a.m., 10 a.m., 2 p.m., 3 p.m., because I think sometimes if you post things back-to-back too much, and, and, well, this is another conversation entirely. If you post to Facebook too much for your audience, then your engagement goes mm-hmm. down, your reach goes That's down, right. and things start to spiral out of control really quickly. But posting, spacing things out evenly if you're posting more than one piece of content per day is a lot more important than making sure you post it at the exact correct time. Yeah. Um, and I'd also so, say mixing it up with like different types of content and different yeah, links. Right. Like, so right. you can post the same, a link to the same article, but not back to back to back to back. Oh, back. no, 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 no. I mean, no. you might do a share square or a picture right. quote at 7 a.m. and maybe at 7 p.m. you share just a direct link to the article. Yeah, Correct. same kind of thing. And so yeah. like that, and so like I, we, we weren't posting those share squares to Facebook, but I wanted to introduce them, but I didn't want to replace a current piece of content. So I said, okay, where do we have room for this? Because I don't want to post, I think it should be in the morning, but we're posting a blog post at 8 a.m. So when should it be? Should it be six? Should it be four? I said, let's just throw it up there at midnight and see what happens. And I think it stays in in the top because there's not a lot of content coming out between 12 a.m. and five or six or seven whenever people are getting up. It gets more engagement than everything else in that time frame. So it's already heavily weighted when people start waking up. So that's the 2019 hack that... Yeah, we'll be talking about in three years. Remember remember back in 2019 when the hack was to share a picture quote at, at midnight. midnight? Yeah. That's so right. A Bible, a Bible verse at midnight, Julie. A Bible verse at midnight. That's right. Sure. <laughs> Not just a random Elon Musk quote. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think I think we're all in agreement there that maybe it doesn't matter quite as much as it did, but but spacing things out is is still important. That's for sure. All right. Anybody have anything else? I think we should probably do followers of the week real quick. Just which, real quick. We don't have to share uh, the life story of every single one of them. But um, but any any quickie followers of the week? Yep. AP Planner on Twitter. That's an AP underscore Planner on Twitter. I love this. I think, Chris, you turned me on to this uh, yep. account. But it just gives you a quick look at cultural events and newsworthy events that are coming up. Uh, it helps you kind of plan out social content. If you're doing anything that's news-related, uh, culturally related, it's a very helpful follow just because it, it kind of keeps things in front of you 100 days out, 50 days out, one week out, one month out, those kind of things. So uh, also I need to gives you some, uh, some celebrity birthdays, which I'm not on, but <laughs> oh well. Maybe in five years. Yeah, that's a good follow. Yeah, AP underscore planner on Twitter. Mine is uh, Matt Navara on Twitter. Matt, that's at Matt, M-A-T-T, Navara, N-A-V-A-R-R-A. Uh, he uh somehow has an in at like every major social media platform and uh is often seeing like hey twitter's testing this or instagram had this new feature that they accidentally released and then deleted from the platform or um he's always keeping an eye out on new features new changes new things going on he he used to work for the next web which is a tech uh, uh news outlet and blog but now he's just kind of a freelance uh journalist and social media consultant really smart guy he's in the uk uh fun to follow and uh, he, he's funny and he has kind of good insights on what may be coming on social media platforms that aren't out in the mainstream yet all right i don't have a twitter account or an instagram account this week i have a podcast i think people should subscribe to does that count will you guys sure. allow it i'll allow it okay 
So The Story is the name of the podcast, and it's currently being narrated by Alex Baldwin, but every single story tells the backstory of usually someone famous that you've never heard of. And as they're telling the story of this person, you don't know who it is until the climax of the story. So my favorite episode was one where they were telling the story of these two brothers in Germany, and as it turned out, it was a story of the two guys that started Puma and Adidas. So I highly recommend that. Who's so, the host? Uh, does it does it say does it tell me who Alex Baldwin is? Oh, it's Alec Baldwin, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Assuming I was like, it's there's another Baldwin brother. <laughs> there's another Baldwin. It's okay. I was either reading my notes wrong or something autocorrected, but I will take the blame. <laughs> Alec Baldwin. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. Thanks, we, guys. As soon as you said that, I looked at Jonathan and I was like, maybe this is just a guy <laughs> I've never heard of. We both looked at one another like, what? What? What was that? <laughs> Uh, okay cool well those hey those are our follows of the week uh this has been a really fun discussion i don't know what we're going to talk about next week i don't know who i was going to be here next week but we'll talk about something it'll be fun thanks for listening uh to this episode of the social cues podcast we're all on twitter you can find us there and we'll be back sometime soon hopefully next week with episode four thanks again for joining us